movement is important. Move your body, exercise, train, do what you need to do. But don't think that burning these many calories in a day is going to be like ultimately better. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Wholehearted Health Podcast. I'm your host, Elsie Seberg. And on this show, we are going to chat all things nutrition, mindset, and fitness to help you find your balance in your health journey and feel the most confident and free by making sense of one topic at a time. What is up, you guys? I'm back today. We're going to do another Q&A. I had a couple question boxes up on my Instagram story, so I'm drawing most of these questions from there. And also, I will say I got a lot of questions in the anonymous question uh, link that I haven't ever used before. And let's just say some people are about to ruin they're about to ruin question boxes for everybody because we went a little bit off the deep end. When I say ask anything, I don't mean be an absolute weirdo, <laughs> but I just want to dive right in. So the first question, one that I have really enjoyed and I think is very nuanced, especially within the fitness and health industry, but I'm going to give you my two cents. So the question was how to find balance with alcohol. So I think the first thing we have to do is identify what does balance really mean? And balance is going to look different for everybody. Somebody who's coming from like a really restrictive place, they may need to like loosen up a little bit and they may need to allow themselves more things that they haven't in the past. So that may look like allowing themselves to have a drink at date night or on the weekend and be okay with that. For others, balance may be practicing some freaking moderation and not binge drinking every weekend. But I said it really does depend on the person. Some people can't moderate it and they just need to figure out where their boundary is. Some people need to just totally abstain. And it depends also too on if you're coming from a standpoint of health. Like I'm I'm a health coach. Like I need to tell you that alcohol is a toxin. It really is. End of story. There are things that we can do to mitigate the effects it has on our health. But the human in me also knows that it's a part of society. And I think that to a certain degree, like we can just choose our battles. For me personally, I choose to socially drink on occasion. And I don't think like that's the end of the world. At the end of the day, we're all going to go. So if alcohol is what takes me out, I'm doing what I can to support my liver and health in a lot of other ways. I think that it's okay for most people to partake at some level, but there is definitely a line where too much is not beneficial. But like I said, it is a toxin. So if you're somebody who's in a healing phase or you're aiming to improve your health and alcohol is standing in the way of that, maybe it's something that needs to be put on the back burner or on pause. To find balance with it though, to get back to the question, water in between I think that making sure that you are staying really hydrated, the, one of the things that alcohol does is it dehydrates us. So I make sure I prioritize getting electrolytes in before and after. Um, it also has a negative effect on blood sugar. So I make sure one, staying really hydrated, but then I also try to you know, make sure you're eating something before get, getting protein and fiber in. There was a study that actually showed it lessens the negative effects of alcohol if you eat a high-protein, high-fiber meal before. So think maybe a steak and veggies or something like that. I will link in the show notes a 
podcast that I really enjoyed on the effects of alcohol. I believe it's on fat loss or it might just be on health in general from Huberman Lab. And I really enjoyed that. I think it's very eye-opening. Like I said, alcohol is a touchy subject. Everybody you ask is going to have a very different approach. But if you were just someone who's like, hey, I want to be able to drink socially, I'd say hydrate, get your electrolytes in before and after, make sure that you're doing other things in support of soothing your liver because it does can cause liver inflammation. If you already have a sluggish liver, I would say opt for, you know, keeping alcohol to a minimum. But if, you know, if you're just like, hey, how can I do this and still reach my goals? Zero calorie mixers, lighter things, you know, or just have one or two of the drinks that you enjoy, you know, don't go to extremes. That's really the answer to most things is going like way overboard when you do drink. And that's also why I don't say never drink ever. Because guess what? Then when you do drink, you're going to get absolutely blacked out. And that's not the answer either. So personally, the biggest thing for me, I never like feeling out of control. So I'm able to moderate it. I kind of have a built-in cap where I just say, hey, I've had enough. I don't want to be drunk. And so I've never felt the need to drink too much. But if you're on the other end of that spectrum and you find yourself drinking too much, set a boundary and hold yourself to it. That's ultimately how do you want to feel that day or the next day? Is it aligning with your goals? There's just some questions that you can ask yourself. But like I said, this is a very nuanced topic and it's something worth considering because if it is standing in the way of you making progress, it's definitely something that you want to identify and see where you can set boundaries with yourself. Maybe it's I'm only drinking once a week. Sometimes I will have my clients set targets for themselves where they're like, okay, I am not drinking more than once a week. And on those occasions, I'm not going to have more than two drinks or whatever makes sense for them where they're at. Maybe they are going from drinking every day to, okay, we're going to go, not every day, but you know what I mean. Maybe they're just, you know, slowly working their way down. Finding balance with it is going to look different for every person. And I think it just comes down to being honest with where you're at and if it's truly serving you. The second question that I wanted to cover on here as well was struggle with flexibility in intuitive eating, which has led to binges. I'm empathetic because I had a such a hard time. And even over the course of the last two years, I had episodes where I was finding myself with just out of control behaviors around food. And it was coming from a lot of different areas, but definitely a place of I was restricting. And whether that be mentally, emotionally, physically, our bodies will get what they want some way, shape, or form. So if that means that we have urges to binge and eat everything in sight, that's what it'll do. A couple tips though, I tried to break it down. It's very complex because like I said, there I've done some other episodes on emotional eating and things like that, but one, work with someone. Get help. Do not try to tackle things like this on your own. Whether you are at a place, sometimes I think we think we can just jump into intuitive eating and it's just that simple and we'll just know how to eat intuitively. But if you've been chronically dieting, restricting, you have a passive and eating disorder, anything like that, I personally did not freaking remember how to eat intuitively. I literally didn't remember how to listen to my hunger cues. You could tell me all day, just eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full. Yeah, that that's great advice for somebody who remembers or has normal hunger cues or has, you know, been able to just eat normally, quote unquote, for life. But 
that's not the case for a lot of people. We've dieted and downregulated our metabolisms and done all these things that basically have caused us to forget and stop listening to those cues. So first thing is get support and maybe you need to transition and find other ways to help you maintain control. And maybe that's, you know, tracking loosely, or maybe that's using uh, exchanges, but there are things you can do to maybe ease and dip your toes into intuitive eating. Because if you are at a place where you want to have the flexibility of eating intuitively, awesome, but you may need to just set some other guidelines so that you're not feeling like you're just jumping into the deep end. But a couple tips that I gave them were plan and treats. So if you're finding yourself overeating on something, it's likely because you aren't allowing yourself to have it all the time in quantities that actually satisfy you. So plan them in, have a Tuesday night ice cream or have pizza for lunch on a Thursday. Plan in treats at random so that you normalize those foods and you're not telling yourself, oh, this is only a weekend food or this is only a treat occasion food. I can't have it very often. Guess what happens when you're going to allow yourself to eat it? You're going to want way too much and you're going to eat till uncomfortably full. Another thing is balance things out. So for example, if you want chocolate or you want um, something like a treat, add something to it. Think, what can I do to balance this out? Because like I said, if we're eating chips, we're eating chocolate, we're eating something like that, that by itself is not going to be super satisfying. So you could go to the jar of peanut butter and say, oh, we want some peanut butter right now. Well, guess what? That's not going to fill you up. It's not a balanced snack. So add it to something, get a plate. Maybe you put some rice cakes down or maybe you put a banana or an apple down and you have it with some yogurt for protein and the apple has fiber and then you add your peanut butter and maybe you put some chocolate chips on top. That's a much more balanced, nourishing snack versus you just going to town on the jar of peanut butter because that's what you wanted. Combine it not just with what you want, but what you also need. And we need balance and that's going to help create satiety. It's also going to help balance our blood sugar. Um, and it's going to give us more of a satisfying, nourishing meal or snack that minimizes the chance that we're going to want to overeat on just one singular food that we're craving. Also said, really try to eat with people. This is something that in recovery and just in my relationship with food journey, eating with others was literally so healing because one, like I said, forgetting how to eat intuitively or how to eat quote unquote normally happens because we're just kind of isolating in that season. And so getting around people who weren't stressed around food and who just ate and, you know, didn't think twice about it, that was really good for me. It also brought me into the present. And so I was able to actually like notice, wow, I'm eating with people and I'm listening to my hunger cues and I'm not obsessing over what, you know, the extremes of either not eating any of this or eating all of this. Um, so it was just a good way. It helps you to bring more mindfulness into that experience of eating whatever it is that maybe you don't normally have. Planning in general to have variety in your days, because I know a lot of times we get really routine. At least for me, I get really routine with my meals and it's hard to then feel like you can be in control around foods that you don't normally have. So once again, allow yourself to try new things. Maybe having something outside of your normal safe foods or safe meals that you go to 
or maybe you're just adding in like you normally make this amazing salad, but it's kind of plain. Maybe you add some goat cheese or maybe you add, you know, olives or something to it that like gives it more satisfaction effect. But then it also is going to give you just like a taste of something different. And you're going to start to normalize having really delicious, satisfying food all the time so that it's not such a rare experience that your body is like, let's get all of this in right now because we never have this. So remember, you also can't do intuitive eating right or wrong. So while it may be scary at first, oftentimes when I am walking my clients from a place of restriction, we do take a a period of time where we track macros and we give ourselves more structure so that we can start to relearn, one, how to fuel our bodies, how to balance meals out, how to have control in that process. Usually we're reverse dieting, so we're bringing our metabolism back up so that we can handle more food. But then we also get to use those principles and sort of relearn, okay, what is my body really needing right now? What do I want plus what do I need? Um, But you can't do it right or wrong. So give yourself grace. If you are easing into intuitive eating and this is a new thing for you, you're not going to be perfect at it right away because there's no perfect. No one who eats intuitively doesn't ever, like nobody does it in a way that like makes them feel amazing 1000% of the time. It's a learning process. The goal is to just stay in touch with what your body needs and listen and check in frequently. Don't let yourself get overly hungry so that you don't overeat because then you're going to need more food to get back to a stable place of hunger. But just really stay mindful, give yourself grace, plan in variety, and definitely get accountability. If this is something that you're struggling with, um, you do not have to navigate this on your own. I actually wouldn't recommend it. So my DMs on Instagram are always open. This is something that I help clients with all the time. If you haven't already, go back to the Instagram live or the podcast that I did with Izzy Sullivan. Um, At the time, she was a client and she basically stopped binge eating for good. Did not have a single binge after we started working together, after binging multiple times per week leading up to that. And she has a lot of insight to share on her experience working together. So definitely give that a listen. So the next question was so, so good. It said, I saw in one of your posts that you wouldn't recommend women eating less than 1,500 calories a day, but I'm really short and all the TDEE, so that's your total daily energy expenditure calculators, say that my maintenance is around 1,500, 1,600. What should I do? So this is a very good question, but I, I will share that I do have some beef with calculators like that. And while some of them can be helpful, if you're looking for a good... BMR calculator, they're just using formulas. So think about it. Your body's not a robot. It is not confined to this little box of a calculation. They don't know you as a person. Um, Some can be helpful, like I said, for maybe a range. But at the end of the day, there are so, 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 so many other factors that are going to come into play. If a client comes to me and they're eating less than what we, you know, deem to be their basal metabolic rate, so that's the amount of calories your body needs to just to just maintain your normal functions. If you were to never get out of bed all day, your basal metabolic rate is what you would still need for energy. So if we're eating less than that or we're eating less than maybe 15, 1600 calories, the issue there is that we don't have a lot of room to go from there. And I relate to this cuz guys, I'm 5'1". I don't know if you know, like I know I have tall girl energy, but <laughs> I have people tell me that. They're like, wow, I thought you were taller. No, I am a, sh- I'm a small small human. 
But usually we need to reverse up immediately because we don't have anywhere to go. If you come to me and you're eating 12, 1300 calories, and believe me, I did this in college. I used a stupid online calculator. It was probably my fitness pal, honestly. And I said, they told me I need to eat this amount to lose fat. And guess what? I messed up. I messed things up royally. So your body can't function optimally without enough to one, take care of its basic internal functions. We don't want to slow those things down. On top of you're probably walking, you're probably working, you're probably training, you're doing all these things that require energy. The smaller the deficit, the more sustainable the results. I'm going to say that again. The smaller the deficit you create, the more sustainable the results you will get. We do not want to go crazy and slash calories and say, oh, I'm going to make a 600 calorie deficit because that's going to make me lose fat faster than a 200 calorie deficit. Okay, well, it's also going to cause your body to adapt much quicker because it's getting this stress signal of, holy moly, we are not getting the food that we were getting before. And all of a sudden, it's adapting and downregulating all these systems way quicker. So being in a deficit in itself is not bad. But even as a small woman, you're probably burning and you need a lot more calories than you think. You don't want to, you know, your your metabolism's going to adapt. That's a natural process. We can't avoid that happening at all costs. However, we can definitely um, control to what degree and how fast. We want to mitigate the adaptations as much as we can. And so that for me means taking a slower approach and not going balls to the wall right away. So even if your TDEE says it's 15, 1600 calories, how about we eat, you know, let's figure out where you're at first. So if you're maintaining and let's say right now you're eating 1900 calories on average. Okay, well, let's see what happens if we give you 1750 and we get consistent there for a couple of weeks. Guess what? you're probably still going to see fat loss and recomp. It's just not going to be dramatic like you're cutting, you know, 600 calories. But guess what? You're not going to be as hungry. You're still going to feel good. You're going to mitigate and not have these adaptations happen super, super fast. So ultimately, you want to take as slow of an approach as possible. And especially if you are saying like, well, it says my maintenance is 1500 calories. So I've been eating that forever. All right, honey, there's nowhere to go down from there. Like you cannot, you do, I do not want you eating less than your BMR, which is likely no, no less than 1300, even if you're short. Okay. So you probably need to reverse diet, get your maintenance up. That's the goal. Sometimes a reverse diet is necessary to just actually increase the ceiling of your maintenance. And that happens by eating adequate fuel and training, adding muscle mass to your frame, just giving your body the signal that food is readily available, getting getting everything functioning optimally internally, which means hormones, all that stuff. And your body will be able to maintain on a lot higher food. That's basically end of the day. We don't want to just try to eat as little as possible and see results. We want to try to eat as much as possible and see results. And the last question for this episode before I let you guys go, are the calories that step counters indicate you burn by walking accurate? Because they only take into consideration age and weight, not your overall health. Amen. Are they accurate? Probably not. So I would really take your watch calories, the calories on a treadmill, anything like that, 
with a grain of salt. And by that, I mean like they're trash. <laughs> Don't worry about them. I do not want you like obsessing over my watch that I burned a thousand extra calories today. Okay. That's probably an overestimation. I think there's studies that have shown that they can be anywhere up to like 40 to 60% overestimated. So don't worry. We don't want to be stuck on that hamster wheel of like burning X amount of calories per day. Yes, it can be helpful if you're in a deficit. Movement is important. Move your body, exercise, train, do what you need to do. But don't think that burning these many calories in a day is going to be like ultimately better. And it's you're right. It doesn't know all the other factors of like your metabolic health and how much muscle mass you have and all of these things, like how stressed you are. Remember, our metabolism is actually, that's basically how many calories we burn in a day. But it's not just that. It's basically a barometer of how stressed or least stressed our body is. So if you do the elliptical, let's say every day for 45 minutes, which I'm only saying that because I see people on the elliptical, the same people every day doing just slaving away. And I'm telling myself in my head, like, I wish I could just shake them and say, your body adapts to that. So the first time you do the elliptical for 45 minutes, guess what? You burn, okay, let's say we burn 150 calories, just pulling that number out of nowhere. Next two weeks later, you're doing the elliptical for 45 minutes, you're burning 100 calories. Your body is super efficient. It wants to be better. So guess what? It adapts. And that is a slippery downhill slope because all of a sudden now you're doing two hours of elliptical to burn the same amount of calories and it just has diminishing returns. So that's why I always recommend if you want to see sustainable progress, you want to make sure that you're focusing on building. How can you get your metabolism to increase naturally without being a slave to the treadmill or being a slave to the elliptical or walking 500,000 steps a day? Eventually, your body catches up to that. And it's it's also going to increase your stress hormones because you're probably then being overactive and not recovering from it. So fuel your b- body with enough food so that you can increase your metabolism. So eat enough protein. Focus on building muscle and support your hormones and your thyroid. And you won't need to care about a calorie burn because like chasing that number of calories burned in a day is definitely not the end goal. It's not sustainable. Oh, 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 oh,